Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. And today we are preaching from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 through 14. For you once were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing from the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, in the stillness and silence of this moment, perhaps the most still and silent we've been all week, there are voices that are screaming and chanting both outside of our windows but also within our own minds and hearts. Some of us come to this very moment elated, joyful, excited, triumphant, hopeful. Others of us come to this moment angry, confused, or afraid. We come to this very moment connected to one another, experiencing warm love and care. We come to this moment disconnected and cold and angry and bitter, holding grudges and resentments. We come to this moment trusting, full of faith and hope and love. We come to this moment cynical and bitter, doubting. Most of us, a mixture of all of these emotions, Help us to see, though, however we find ourselves right here and right now, that you see us and you know us and you love us. You know us to our depths and you love us to a higher height than we could ever imagine. Help us now to believe the most difficult thing of all, that you actually love us this much in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ, where you give yourself to us completely, that we might have new life in you. And so now, Lord, would you teach us, at such a time as this, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in a way that our lives would be transformed, We ask all these things for our good and your glory. Amen. Well, last Sunday evening, our family had the opportunity to visit the San Diego Opera, which was showing live in the parking lot of the sports arena. In fact, at that time, it was one of the only two places in the world you could see live opera that night. 
And so our family went to the opera, and it turns out that one of our dear friends and neighbors, Ed, is the director of communications for the opera, and they wanted to uh, document a family going to see this great production being put on. So we got the minivan all ready, we cleaned it up, we got the kids in the car, we packed all of our snacks, and I got to tell you, it was nice. We, thank you, Ed. Ed, if you're watching, thank, we pulled in, we had the VIP ticket, which is above my pay grade, and you pull into the parking lot past, you know, the plebeians. And there's a little marquee with our family name on it. We pull right up to it, right next to where the orchestra's playing, and we watch La Boheme play. And they pipe it through your car stereo, but, you know, these, these singers are so wonderful that you could turn the stereo off and still hear them you know, in the car. Now, what was so striking was not only the beauty of that moment and how amazingly well-behaved our kids were that night. I mean, I'm not surprised. I trust you guys. I knew you would be. But what I wasn't prepared for was how different it was knowing not only that we were going to the arts to watch something, but we had a camera crew on us at the same time. So we were not only watching, we were being watched. We were not only being entertained, we were actually participating in another story that was being told to other people. Afterwards, we went and had the camera crew interview each of us on Thursday afternoon. We went to observe but we ended up participating. We went to get something out of it, but we actually had something to give, and that changed our entire attitude of how we experienced that night and the nights afterwards. Now, to become a Christian and to follow Jesus means at some point you come in to observe Jesus. Maybe you observe Christians. Maybe you observe the church. You use your mind and you think through Christian doctrine and the claims of Christianity. You observe Jesus. You question Jesus. You criticize Jesus. You um, interrogate Jesus. You consider Christ. But then when you become a Christian, you're actually baptized into life with him. You're not only observing something or just believing something in your mind, you're actually participating in something much bigger than yourself, what he would call the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting to consider what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God at such a time as this. Last night before Florence and I went to bed, we watched one of our uh, favorite commentaries on our American society, Saturday Night Live. And Saturday Night Live had this 15-minute comedy bit by Dave Chappelle. And I do believe that the best comedians are the some of the prophets and poets of our culture because they can get away with criticizing things in our culture and saying them, as long as it has a good punchline at the end, that we otherwise would probably not receive. And Dave Chappelle, after 14 minutes of this bit on our current political season, kind of soberly and honestly and humbly looks at the camera and says, I want you all to remember especially if you're cheering and triumphant right now, that almost half the country feels bad, feels angry, feels how you felt four years ago. I want you to be humble about that. And then he says, look, we all have to find a way to live. We've got to find a way to forgive each other. We've got to find a way to have joy in our existence. This is Dave Chappelle. This is not the preacher on Sunday morning. This is Dave Chappelle on Saturday Night Live coming to you from 30 Rockefeller. We've got to find a way to get along with each other, to forgive one another, to have joy in our existence. How do we do that? And the letter we just read, Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 5, is the Apostle Paul writing to a diverse church in the midst of the Roman Empire, where they are not all politically aligned with one another, 
They're not all from the same ethnic background. They don't all make the same amount of money. They don't all listen to the same type of music. And he says, in the midst of all that, live as children of light. I get the chills just thinking about it. Think about who you actually are and the person next to you actually is and act accordingly with the dignity of being created in the image and likeness of God who knows you and loves you and accepts you and forgives you and then you reflect that light out into this world. Now, how do we do that? First, let's just consider why does it matter that we live as children of light? What does that even mean? And then how do you do it? First, why? Ephesians is a letter written by Paul who helped to establish all these churches and he writes it to this this young church who's struggling with their identity and they're asking questions like who am I and why does it even matter? See, that's amazing that 2,000 years ago people were asking the very same questions that we ask in in kind of the post-enlightenment, post-modern culture in which we live. And the first three chapters of Ephesians are all outlining what happens when you become a Christian. It talks about how your identity is transformed into living out your life as a beloved child of God. What happens when you receive Christ by faith? He talks about being, you are saved, you are rescued, you have an inheritance, you are reconciled, you are being integrated and put back together. The truest thing about you. He takes three chapters to explain the truest thing about you is not what anybody says about you or how you feel in any particular moment or the good things that you've done or the bad things that you've done. The truest thing about you is that when God looks at you, God says, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And then the second half of the letter, chapters 4 through 6, are all about how to live that out. What are the implications of being a beloved child of God in the midst of a diverse family community? What does it mean to live lives as Christians, as beloved children, to live into the freedom that he gives us? You see, Christianity is not just a vitamin supplement boost to your life that is already pretty good and just needs a little polish around the edges. To follow Jesus means to have a complete revolution of your heart and soul and mind and life. It sweeps through every part of your life. And this is why ethics matter. This is why how we treat one another individually and as a community matter. Because it's a way to live in the light. Now, what does it mean to live in the light? There are a thousand ways to illustrate what it means to live in the light. I want to stick to the text and what Paul says in chapter 5. And here he gives a specific case study. Earlier in chapter 5, I didn't read these verses, but in verse 3 he says, Living as children in the light has implications. For example, here's a case study. He says, fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you. Okay, Fornication, impurity of any kind or greed must not be mentioned among you. Here's two case studies in how to ignore your identity in the light. Okay, That word for fornication, often translated as immoral or impure, comes from the Greek word porneia, from which we also get pornography. So you get the idea of what he's getting at there. To use your beautiful human sexuality in a way that is dehumanizing and cutting you off from others and from God is a way to ignore your identity in the children of the light. On the other hand, greed. 
amassing as many resources as you can for yourself and neglecting the needs of your neighbor is another way to ignore your identity as children in the light. Here's the thing I want you to see. His vision for what it means to live as a child of the light is comprehensive and wide-reaching because most of us focus on one or the other. I'll give, you, I'll give you examples from the church, and I'll give you examples in politics, okay? First, there are churches in San Diego who you can find on their website or in their preaching or in their whatever materials they have. There are churches in San Diego who will say that what the Bible teaches about sexuality is outdated. It's obsolete. We need to move beyond it. We need to get past it. But they will say what the church teaches about oppression or materialism or greed is absolutely right and needs to be heeded, right? So don't worry about this one so much, but we really need to focus on this one. You will also find churches in San Diego and around the country and around the world that do the exact opposite. They will put a lot of emphasis on denouncing sexual immorality and making a pretty big show of it, but at the same time essentially ignoring what you do with your money or what the Bible says about greed and involvement with the poor. You find this in politics as well. There's one political party that will say, look, you cannot legislate the way that we use our bodies, keep the idea of sexuality out of politics, and at the same time will say we need to legislate how we give money to care for the most needy people, the most impoverished people, the most neglected people in society. And then the other party will say the opposite. We need to focus on the family and legislate our sexual ethics, but I say my money is my own business, so what if I want to keep it all for myself? And here's the point. The wisdom of God comes and says, that is too narrow and too short-sighted. It's not either or, it's both and. I care about your body. I care about the way you respect yourself and respect others. And I care about your resources and that everybody has enough. It's comprehensive. It's both and because it has to counteract the default drive of the human heart to only look out for ourselves. See, early Christians were scandalous in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, it was quite normal for citizens to be promiscuous with their bodies and give them away to whoever they want and stingy with their money. But here came Christians living as children of the light and they were stingy with their bodies, giving them only to the person they'd committed themselves to until death do them part. And they were promiscuous with their money, giving it away far and wide and generously. And the Roman Empire didn't know what to do with them. See, Jesus is not from the right or from the left. He's from above, and he reserves the right to critique all of it because he has a higher vision of the kingdom of God. Because he cares about all of you. And I think part of the key is what Paul goes on to write in verse 5. He says, be sure of this, you know, none of these people... Or uh, you know, no fornicator, no impure person, one who's greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, without getting into the, lip, the limits, which I think there are none, of God's mercy and grace, let's get at what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, beware of idolatry. Beware of giving away your heart and your allegiance and your hope to anything that is not noble enough and strong enough to actually sustain you. He's saying, if there's anything that's more important to you than God, anything that gives you more meaning in life than God, anything that gives you more security in your life than God, 
That's idolatry. That's a God with a lowercase g. If there's anything that gives you a greater sense of value and worth and significance than God, then there's something that you love more than God. Anything you center your life on more than God, that's your religion. That's all of us. That's why he had to write this letter, not to a bunch of pagan outsiders, but to the Christian insiders and say, beware of the human heart's tendency to lose its true north, to lose its compass, to attach itself to all other things that promise to make us well or right or whole. As John Calvin, the great reformer, said that the human heart is an idle factory. We make up all sorts of things. We reassign all sorts of values to other things to promise to make us whole, especially in a time such as this. We take even good things. Children are a great gift from God, but if I look to my children to make me whole or make me right, I will be disappointed by lunchtime. Parents are a gift from God, but if they look to their dad to make them complete and whole, they will be disappointed earlier than that. Your career If you are fortunate enough to have a career where you get to contribute something good to society, that is a gift from God. But if it becomes the thing that justifies your existence and you can point to and say, that is why I I matter, that's why I mean something, then you are basing your significance on something that was never meant to hold the weight of your life. Even if it's a noble social or political cause, if you give your heart to it wholly, it will wholly eat you alive because anything you put in the place of God will ultimately fail to give you what only God can give you. It will exhaust you. It will drive you to the ground. You'll be paralyzed by fear if something goes wrong with it. And you'll be despondent. So Paul asks us right now in this moment, a diagnostic question, just to take inventory of your life and ask yourself, what are you thinking about right now as that thing that gives you significance or gives you hope? What is at the center? When you think about how you spend your time or you spend your finances, what does that say about what's in the middle of your life? And is it strong enough? Is it noble enough? Is it sturdy enough to sustain you, especially through the ups and downs of a moment like this? And God says, when you have me at the center, all of these other things actually find their rightful place. You're living as children of the light. I also want to point out that constantly throughout the church, and right here in particular, Christ always calls his followers to unity. Unity, not only with people in the church, with other Christians. Unity, not even only with people with whom they agree. But unity with all humanity. Because we're all created in the image and likeness of God. That's something that's hard to pull out of Paul's letters often because they're translated from Greek to English. And English is one of these languages that doesn't have a word for the plural second person. What I mean by that is uh, we have a word for you. If, If it's you singular, I'd say, would you please come and have a cup of coffee with me? But if I want to invite everyone in this room to my birthday party, I would say, would you please come to my birthday party? Southerners have this, right? They have a second person plural. They would say y'all, okay? So it's tempting when you read Paul's letters to hear you and you think this is a letter about what it means for me individually to live as a child of the light. 
except whenever he says you, he's almost always referring to you, plural. He's not just talking to you, Jim, and you, Chemo, and you, Matt, and you, Janie, and you, Celeste, and you, Faith. He's talking to y'all. He's talking to everybody who's hearing this sermon right now to live as children of the light together. It's a call to unity. Now, there are places where Jesus talks about the importance of unity within the church. On the night he was betrayed, he prays to his heavenly Father, and he says, Father, as you are in me and I am in you, I pray that they, those who follow me, may all be one in us so that the world may know you sent me. And you go, okay, great. That's us having unity with people with whom we agree about Jesus. But then elsewhere Jesus says, forgive others and love your enemy. Move toward the person with whom you have nothing in common. And be an agent of peace wherever you go. And so, Christian friends, I invite you right now, I implore you right now, this week, find a way to be known as a peacemaker Next time we gather here on Sunday, when you're going through your life and you're taking inventory again, how do you hope that someone would be able to say, you know, that person was a person of peace on our block. That person was a person of peace around the dinner table. Live as children of the light. Now, how do you do this? Paul says, let me remind, let me take half of the letter and remind you what it means to be connected to Christ. And I'll need to get in front of you again and again because you will forget that you are a beloved child of God. You will think tomorrow when you wake up that you need to prove yourself all over again. And he gets in front of you and goes, remember, you're a beloved child of God. You will be tempted tomorrow when you wake up to think about all the ways your life or the world or your family or fill in the blank can go wrong. And you will forget that God is present and faithful and abounding in steadfast love. And he comes in front of you and goes, remember, you're not only observing the goodness and presence and love of God in your life, you're actually participating in it. You are children of light. Live in the light. Paul says in Ephesians, the moment you receive Christ, the moment you believe in him as your Savior, you are united to him, and you are put in him, and you are connected to others. And I think the key, we read this, is in verse 14. He says, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Everything that becomes visible is light. What do you think he means by that? A few weeks ago, we went camping with our family, and I had the opportunity to be out in what we would call the small hours of the morning, with our kids looking at the stars. And I was explaining to them the difference between the sun and the moon. The sun emits its own light because of the nuclear reactions that are taking place on its surface. The moon, though it's bright at night, emits no light of its own. It's a big rock rotating and orbiting around the earth. The moon, though it makes no light of its own, shines brightly because it is in view of the sun. And it takes the light of the sun and it reflects it so brightly on a full moon night you can read a book by its light. You can navigate. You can get where you need to go. You can travel safely. And he says, let Christ's light shine on you in such a way 
that you're like the moon. That though you may not emit light of your own, you reflect Christ's light in such a way in this world other people can see by it. Now, friends, we need to remind, remember this every time we gather. And my prayer for you is this week, in the very specific ways that you are tempted to forget your identity and your inheritance in Christ, I pray that you remember your children of the light. And in all of the ways that you are tempted to live not as children of the light, especially in this moment, I pray that you remember that you have the fortitude and the perseverance to love one another as Christ loves you. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we do pray now that as we hear in the benediction of this passage, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We pray that you would shine upon us. We are a hungry and thirsty people, and so as we come to this table, I pray that you would feed us and nourish us for the journey ahead of us. We are a scattered people, and so I pray, as you are the Father of all, that you would actually unite us in your family. We are a forgetful people, forgetting our dignity and our worth and the dignity and worth of our neighbors, and so I pray that you'd remind us now of what it means to be children of the light in a family much bigger much wider than we could even imagine. And so we pray now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would transform our lives, that we might be a part of transforming this world, to reflect your light more and more. We pray these things in your name. Amen.